This is a podcast by Wellhouse Church, where we take a closer look and dig a little deeper into this week's sermon. What's going on, Bible nerds? We're talking about Cain and Abel, so let's take a closer look. Let's do it. So, you know, at the end of chapter 3, after all the kind of sin enters the world and God offers his curses, he blocks them out of the garden so that they can't return to the tree of life. Right. And then the story just kind of jumps. We never hear of Adam and Eve again right. as actual characters, right? They're referred to, but like as far as narrative about them, there's really no more other than that they have another son. But the text says, the man knew his wife Eve, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I produced a man with the help of the Lord. Next, she bore his brother Abel. Now, the second half of verse 6 is, I, I think, is one of the most important verses in all of Genesis. Now, Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain a tiller of the ground. So what does that say? One's a rancher, one's a farmer. It, it's not actually revealing anything except this is the first time that we're told that two people are different. Mm -hmm. This is the first time that difference of opinion or lifestyle has entered the biblical narrative. And that's really important for the way it plays out. Because the text goes on, it says, In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. Now, this entire series is about fruit. We're told to be fruitful. We're, we know the fruit comes from the ground. Like, Cain's on the right track. He's offering fruit from the ground. This, right. is, an, this is an acceptable offering. And remember, Levitical law and sacrificial law hasn't been given yet, but there are even, like, laws pertaining to grain offerings and things. So this is an acceptable offering. Verse 4, and Abel, for his part, brought of the firstlings of his flock their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So what, what's the difference in their offerings? Well, one is, well, first of all, um, Abel brought part of the firstlings of his flock, their fat portions. Yep. Right, the yep. the best of what he had. Yep. Um, and it says nothing about that for Keynes. Correct. So that that would be the big kind of point to issue. Now, but on the same point, is it really that much different in crops? Like there can be a Not big, really. there can be a substantial difference in animals. Right. Really, there's not a whole lot of difference in crops. So is it is it really like is it a legalistic kind of thing? Like you gotta go through and get the best? Or was it that Abel the top ten percent? 
Or no, well, is it more so that Abel was attentive in attempting to offer the best, whereas Cain was like, here's my offering obligatorily? I mean, I don't know if the the narrative sets it up to where we can fully understand that. Oh, sure it does. Yeah, sure. I think that's exactly what it is. Because it's about the heart, right? Because then that becomes obvious that Cain responds in anger. We didn't get there yet. But the next part says... After, but Cain, verse 5, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. If you were really invested in pleasing the Lord and you got told that your offering was insufficient, are you angry or are you repentant? Hmm. It's the anger in his response that lets me know that he didn't really have his heart in this in the beginning. And that's why the text sets you up that Abel offers the best and Cain just makes an offering. It's not that the type of offering that Cain is offering is wrong. It's the heart he has in offering it. Okay. Because there's not a ton of difference in crops. No, I mean, maybe really. obviously if your crops are rotting or something like, but, but as far as like valuable crops, there's really not a ton of difference. Now, the text goes on. And the Lord has a conversation with Cain about his anger. And in verse 7, he says, If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is lurking at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must master it. So once again, I think that conversation there with God is also revealing that it's Cain's heart that's the problem. But it's more about doing than it is about heart posture. Ah, uh, why? I don't know. I'm asking. Like, that's kind of like a question. Oh, I, no. You, you, oh, okay. You said it in a way right. that I thought you were making a statement. No, that's more of a question than anything. Yeah, I don't think so. Right. We have to do in order to obey. Right. But at the same point, God's not, God's not super dogmatic. For sure. instance, the easy place to point to is... The thief on the cross. Right. Next to Jesus, right? Like, God's not super dogmatic in the way that you go about doing. It's the heart that you have. It's the intent. Okay. Now, once again, Cain doesn't listen to any of it. Right. Right. God's literally warning him right now in verse 7. And Cain doesn't listen to any of it. Picking up in verse 8, Cain said to his brother Abel, let us go out to the field And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Yeah. Heebie-jeebies. Yeah. You want to talk about some anger. Yeah. Um, I'm just... uh, The only thing that I can say is that escalated quickly. Right. For sure. We 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 also don't know the time period between these two things happening but also but even just even just from genesis 3 to verse 8 in chapter 4 right that escalated quickly we go from sin of eating fruit Mm, to to sin of murder yeah and the first murder at that but isn't that the way sin works yes that a little bit of sin introduced into your life can kind of snowball. Right. 
and it can end you up in a place where you wake up one day and go, oh my gosh, how did I even get here? Yeah. I don't even know how I arrove, how I arrived at the place that I'm in now. Yeah. And I think that's where Cain is, right? Cain's got a lot of anger. Cain's got some stuff going on. And Cain makes this offering. To some extent, it seems almost like he's angry at God. Right, but taking it out on his brother. And so he kills his brother, which that becomes a pattern, by the way, that we see throughout the biblical narrative. But there's something interesting after he kills him. And this is the part that I think that's meaningful to our conversation about fruit. Verse 9, Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is your brother Abel? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? Which, you want to talk about taunting God. Yeah. That's like maybe one of the worst responses you can have to God. Mm-hmm. That's like, that's one of those ones where. That my, really rebellious teenager. My niece, my niece the other day, she was over here. Clayton and I are here. We've got my niece and my two kids here. And she, my niece was acting up and she was talking to Clayton and I interjected we were at my house, and I interjected, and I said, Tegan, no, you need to wait. And she looked at me, and in the most bold face, F you kind of look, she said, I'm not talking to you. Yeah. And then looked back at me, acted like nothing happened. Yep. That, that, that's the kind of tone that I get from Cain. Hmm. It's like, am I my brother's keeper? And turn around and go back to what you're doing. Like the biggest big face of all. the bird. Yeah. Yeah. Like just a terrible, terrible thing to say to God. And God responds with a little, little, little snapback. This is what he says. And the Lord said, what have you done? Listen. Your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it will no longer yield to you its strength. You will be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Clayton, where where does fruit actually come from? The ground. The ground. Everything has roots in the ground. There's something very intriguing to me about the language that the ground has opened up to receive the blood. Because if you remember back in chapter 3... God actually curses the ground. Right. That it will now bear thorns and thistles. That that this once perfect soil that yields the perfect fruitfulness has been tainted. Right. It won't be perfect anymore and it will bear thorns and thistles. Well, now you get the first murder 
and the ground is soaking up the innocent blood. Mm. And that blood then taints the ground, which mm. then becomes the soil nutrients for the fruit that we've been commanded to be in pursuit of. The circumstances around you have great effect on your fruitfulness. The things that happen around you have immense effect on your fruitfulness. Cain's anger seems to be the root here. But the fact of the matter is, is that no matter what your circumstance is, what no matter what the sin or circumstances around you are negative things will impact your fruitfulness it's just the way it works there's something about being in pursuit of the perfect soil the perfect surroundings in order to garner the most yield of your fruitfulness and as, as the text leads me, in verse 10, listen, your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground, and now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. Now, There's a lot that happens after this mm-hmm. that we really don't have time to go into. Well, I was actually going to step there for a minute. Where? That's okay. Uh, down into verse, well, 13 through 15, just real quickly. Okay, good. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Today you have driven me away from the soil and I shall be hidden from your face. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and anyone who meets me may kill me. Then the Lord said to him, Not so. Whoever kills Cain will suffer sevenfold vengeance, and blah, 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 the mark of Cain. Mm-hmm. Here we also see another moment where Cain is saying that he wants to die. And... God is saying, no, no more death. You think Cain's saying he wants to die? That's what he says. Whoever meets me may kill me. Yeah, as a possibility. Like this might happen. Yeah, I don't know. I'm reading that a little bit different because he's also here saying, today you have driven me away from the soil and I shall be hidden from your face. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Things that he, everything that he once knew, he now no longer knows. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but the, the difference is in the contrast between shall and may. Shall are things that are happening. May are probability. So I, I think it, the way I'm reading it as uh, is more like, hey, can I do this? Yeah, you may do that. Yeah, may you, kill me. Yeah, no, no, no. That, yeah, no, no, no. Well, are are we sure? Yes, we are one hundred percent sure. Okay. Um, and the only reason is because the Hebrew construction between these shall clauses, the mm-hmm. things that are definitely going to happen, and the probability clauses, 
they are different word constructions in the Hebrew. Okay. Like the construction of probability or possibility mm -hmm. is may. Okay. But I still think outside of that correction, your end goal mm. is true. Right. That God is saying no more death. Right. Well, and I mean, there are lots of other questions that this text brings up that we do not have time to talk about, about like who else is going to kill Cain? Like who else exists on the earth other than his family who would kill him? Right. Right. Because Cain's whole thing is like, you're making me go away. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I'm afraid that there are other people on the earth that are going to kill me. Right. So there are other, there are other questions at play there that we don't have time to get into, but the God's emphatic response in verse 15, then the Lord said to him, not so, not happening. No more death. I'm tired of all the death. And part of it is because death, especially for the biblical narrative, is the ultimate tragedy. Right. Right, it's the ultimate contrast to life, which what we're given, and the only thing we're promised in Genesis two, if they eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, is that they will die. Death is the thing that the story is fighting against. Right. No more death. It's not sin. Notice sin hasn't been said in the narrative up until verse seven. Of chapter four, sin is not the focus of your Christian life and experience. Sin is not your ultimate battle. Death is your ultimate battle. That's the thing that well, God's like, no more. And that's Paul Hull's deal is that sin leads to death. Right. right. Sin is not this the, the big thing that we're fighting. Right. The The problem with sin is not sin. The problem with sin is that it leads to death. Right. And I agree. God is at the point where he says no more death. And here's... I debated on whether or not that I would make this claim. And something in my spirit just tells me that I'm right right now. At the end of verse 16, Cain goes away into what the text calls the land of Nod, which is east of Eden. Mm -hmm. We think Eden is in Mesopotamia somewhere, if you were going to try to pinpoint it. So he heads east. Then the text goes on and talks about civilization. And we get somewhat of a genealogy of Cain's life. And then we get in verse 25, some additional genealogy from Adam where Adam bore another son named Seth. Then we get to chapter five and chapter five is nothing but a genealogy. Now that genealogy is worth reading. If, if you know how to read biblical genealogies and know what you're looking for, you're not looking for how old everyone is. 
if you can do that, this genealogy is worth reading. Methuselah is in this genealogy in verse 25. So is Lamech and so is Noah. Now, verse 1 of chapter 6. When people began to multiply on the face of the ground, and daughters were born to them. The sons of God saw that they were fair, and they took wives for themselves of all that they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in mortals forever, for they are flesh. Their days shall be numbered twenty, uh, numbered 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward when the sons of God went into the daughters of humans who bore children to them, these were heroes that were of old, warriors of renown. Now notice, that setup, you should see some issues there. You have a contrast. What's your contrast? Sons of God with daughters of humanity. Right. Now, what you do with that, I mean, Christians are called sons of God. Like, there's lots of different things you can do with that. That's not the point here. The point is, the last thing we're told about is the Nephilim. Mm -hmm. And what are the Nephilim called? Uh, Heroes that were of old, warriors of renown. Okay. Mark that. Verse 5, literally right after. The Lord saw the wickedness of humankind was great in the earth and that every inclination of the thought of their heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made humankind on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I'll blot out from the earth the human beings I've created, people together with animals and creeping things and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I made them. But Noah found favor. Okay, verse 9 and 10 are about Noah. Verse 11, now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw that the earth was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted its ways upon the earth. And God said to Noah, I've determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. Now I'm going to destroy them along with the earth. Yeah, that goes back to... Verse 4, with the Nephilim being... The Nephilim are not desirable. No. They're they're an antagonist in the character. Very clearly. In the the narrative. They're not a good thing. But remember how, when we were reading the Cain and Abel story, I made the comment, that escalated quickly. Mm -hmm. From murder, if death is the kind of contrarian element in the story... Where else can you go from murder? Your only real option in escalation is genocide. Right. Or war or violence, which the Nephilim are warriors. Right. And it's once the Nephilim are introduced into the story that God says, "Uh uh-uh, this is too much. So to your point, yes, God is saying no more death. I genuinely believe that. Like, that death is the problem. And the reason it's a problem is not so much that it's the polar opposite of God. 
that is a huge piece of the problem. But I, I genuinely think the other part is, is that just like in the Cain story, that the ground is soaking up the innocent blood and it's impacting our lives in the earth. And that's why when you get to chapter six and it's nothing but violence and war and murder and all of these heinous things, God says, look, uh, uh-uh. there is too much death in the world. I must change this. Hmm. I didn't think that it was going to end up this way, but now it has. And I must do something because the earth cannot sustain this amount of death. The earth can, the ground cannot soak up this much innocent blood. So listener, there are a few things I want you to know and ponder and think about from this. Number one, and I'll be honest, I haven't filmed the story yet, so I don't know what I've said in the story um, up to this point about this text. But I know that my punchline for the story is that the things happening around you affect your fruitfulness. Violence, death, anger, hatred. All of these things have a negative impact on your divine call to be fruitful and multiply, to provide life to those around you, to yourself. And these things happen Because the circumstances around you matter. Unhealthy relationships, bad workplace, self-destructive behavior. The circumstances around you affect your fruitfulness. Because those things happen. Those things taint the core that produces fruit. Your divine call is to be fruitful and multiply. But when you're planting fruit in tainted soil, you're going to get toxic fruit. You can be producing fruit that looks like fruit, smells like fruit, but it's toxic. It's not good. It's harmful to you because the soil that you put it in to bear that fruit. So, listener, I I want you to know, look, there's grace. Cain absolutely gets an immense amount of God's grace. Later in the text, in in Levitical law, we'll be told that if you intentionally kill someone, your your punishment, your casuistic law is that you be killed. God doesn't hold that for Cain. No. God gives immense grace. And so, as we always say, there's grace for everything. But let's also be careful where we plant our fruit.